Hey, Fitness Business Secrets listeners. Today, I'm talking to Danny Singer. He's the owner and founder of Fit2Go, a in-home personal training studio in Baltimore, Maryland. And we're going to learn his secrets, such as his philosophy that differentiates his business from other in-home training studios. Also, four key things that got Danny's in-home training of being the founder of this personal training studio at such a young age. Also, we'll find out how he used a professional look on Craigslist to make it a gold mine for his business. Running a successful in-home personal training business is highly dependent on how awesome your personal trainers are and how much you can keep them and retain them. So Danny tells us how he pays them, how he keeps them motivated, feeling like a team, and still responsible for the client's goals. Plus, you're going to learn how he creates revenue by training at a gym that he doesn't even need to pay rent for. Hint, think of those empty gyms you see at the bottom of those apartment complexes. And if you have a team of trainers, you're probably always looking at specific metrics to kind of manage your costs. Danny will share how much he pays his full-time trainers and his goal metrics for them weekly. In order to support all of these full-time trainers, you need to have a lot of reoccurring clients. Danny's going to share with us how he designs his programs that has helped his business get to 100 reoccurring clients per week. Finally, with the current business environment, he's going to share with us his honest opinion about what he thinks is the current opportunities to go after today. Stay tuned. Fitness coaches, get more clients by learning the secret techniques successful trainers and gym owners are using to grow their business in person and online. Create multiple streams of income by training clients online, selling challenges, and growing your membership. This is the Fitness Business Secrets Podcast, and I'm your host, Christy Oshita. I've built two fitness businesses to about a half million dollars each by improving marketing, sales, and operations. Let's grow your sales and your clients. Before we get to the show, I'm going to give you an update how the Immunity Boost Fat Blast Fitness Challenge done for you with a meal plan, recipes, results manual, and a whole user-generated content funnel I'm creating for you, the statuses. And we are so close to being done. I have this incredible team that I'm working with and nutritionists. But we're still not fully there because, of course, the last 10% is always what takes forever. So I'm creating a bunch of directions right now of how to implement the challenge well. I have this really cool user-generated content aspect of it. And I'm doing this cool little calendar. Super excited about it and just really getting the macros right on on the uh, meal plan. Yeah, so I think we should be able to launch it towards the end of the week. And I would like to invite you actually to be one of the first participants to use it. I'm doing a mix of different things, probably like a super discounted price if you'll give me some feedback because I think feedback is gold and I'll probably get some wine and cry as I read it. I was like, oh, you didn't like that part. But I think it would help me know how to improve it. So version one, this is everyone gets to have a version one, including Microsoft and of course, hopefully including us. So we're going to have a version one release and it has pretty much everything you need, though. We've put a lot of time into it, maybe too much before the first launch to where the the manual is amazing, the recipe is amazing and the social media posts and all of the handouts and emails to send to your clients 
are pretty, pretty good. And of course, it could always be better. So that's kind of where your feedback is super, super helpful. And, and then we can, we'll, we'll do a second release. And if you do buy, buy the first release, then I'll send you the second release. So it's kind of like your marketing dream. Like if you ever wish you had a marketing team, this is sort of what it is for almost nothing because you could sell it like in one sale or two sales, you'll probably cover the cost of it, especially at the first release price which I don't know what it is exactly yet. So you're like, what is it? I don't know. I just need to try to cover some costs. We've been spending like a couple months on it. Yeah, so thanks for all your support on that. I really appreciate it. Before we get to the show, I wanted to talk about some thoughts on in-home personal training and the overall business model of sending trainers remotely to other locations. And I want to talk about this because of my experience running Bumblebee Tennis, which was a remote tennis lesson business in New York City and is different because it was actually at a tennis court that we would have a lease for. But the reason why it's similar is because I would send them to different locations and I wasn't able to really oversee how they were doing all the time. It was super tricky. But the reason why I really did love that business was because the costs were generally low and I was really able to boom that business in a short amount of time with very little risk in a way because as you'll hear in this episode, the cost is just the trainer when there's a paid session. So what we would call fixed costs, the rent, maybe the utilities, the insurance for the location, cleaning services, all those things that happen no matter if your business has clients are high in a fixed cost retail location. But when you send trainers to the client's home or some remote locations that are extremely low cost that you can edit the times if you don't have students, then all of a sudden those are all technically variable costs and you can know that for the most part, if you have a session going on, you're making money. And that's it's really understated how helpful that is to run a business because I didn't worry at night if I was gonna make rent or payroll because I always knew that if the class was going on, for the most part, we were making money. Now we're doing group classes. So there are times when there's less than two people. And so there's kind of like you're maybe losing a few dollars, but it wasn't too much based off of the structure we had. So that's really helpful, not just to sleep at night, but also for scaling. It takes time to make decisions. And when you have a lot of fixed costs, then you have to be more thoughtful about your decisions since an opportunity to grow could also be, mean an opportunity for your fixed expenses to go up, which would therefore mean an opportunity to grow is an opportunity to lose money because your expenses may be too high despite having a good steady income for that new location, say. So if in this environment you're, you were thinking about opening an in-person studio and now you're not so sure, I feel you. So if you want to be more conservative, I'd suggest in-home training. And the benefit of that is that the relationship is what counts. So if you have to train them virtually until there's a vaccine for coronavirus, then they're more up to doing that versus if you have a class-based business or it's not as a personal of a relationship. So now let's get into how to run an in-home personal training business successfully. The first thing is you need to get leads. I think in this episode, he talks about Craigslist. I think that could actually still work in today's age. 
just keep posting there because it's free. So it's hard to lose on that and you can just keep reposting or have a virtual assistant post there. Flyers still work actually, but you're going to do it a different way. Instead, you're going to be really targeted towards a specific area. And that's why flyers are great because you're targeting a specific area. And when you do in-home personal training, you really want to make sure all your clients are close to each other. And that saves you so much money and time and also really some stress that you don't have to like go across town and be late for your next appointment. So you can pick an area where you know it's sort of affluent and there are types of people where they're time strapped and they're up for a health change uh, that's convenient. So you'd flyer that area. But maybe if you're tight on time, instead only flyer 20% of the homes, but instead market to them consistently, maybe every week. And think of it almost like email marketing. So you're going to actually provide interesting value and put your picture and sign your name off, include personal mentions in the information. So not just like how to lose weight or how to make this recipe, but kind of include a little story about yourself. So it really feels like they're talking to you. And the reason why it's sort of interesting is because you're going to try to send it to them at a t- um, on Sundays when they're not really getting mail and it stands out. And I would also do this technique where at the top, you'd introduce yourself as the new local personal trainer. So if the area is called Pinewood, So you would say, hey, I'm Pinewood's new local personal trainer at your service. I'm available for this. And then to provide them interesting information. So it's like a little Pinewood, if that's the name of the neighborhood, fitness newsletter. And you're immediately positioning yourself as someone credible and someone local because you're mentioning their neighborhood. What's neat about this is if you go out on Sundays, you might actually bump into people and start conversations. Now you might feel intimidated, but actually you can continue your positioning as the local fitness trainer and then immediately jump into doctor mode. That's my favorite sales technique, which is to immediately find out how you can give them great information on the spot with no requests for something back when you talk to them. Then give them your card and say, hey, if you ever need any, have any questions about health or how to work out, just give me a call without even saying that you have, they have to sign up. Of course, if they are interested, they'll say, how much do you cost? And you say, well, I have different programs, but why don't we do this? It really just depends on what you want to do. Why don't we just start off with this training session to see if it's the right fit? I really like this newsletter, quote unquote, flyer strategy because it feels authentic. You're providing information and it fits for exactly what you want to do, which is to sort of build a community in that specific area. That's what newsletters do. And you can provide little snippets of testimonials or feedback from customers who are their neighbors. One last thing. So before we talked about doing boot camp classes at parks, and this could be a great tie-in. I highly, highly, as I've mentioned before, recommend doing these boot camp classes because it's a great lead source. And it's an easy way to have a person try out your services without I guess feeling intimidated like they're going to be forced to buy because it's one-on-one. So in summary, there's two suggestions here to boom your in-home personal training business. One is maybe Craigslist, if that works in your area. I don't know. 
but it could and it's free and it could be an easy way to stand out if people are still checking it. Next is newsletters that you give to people's houses, sort of like flyers on Sunday. You include interesting, helpful, relevant articles and you include your face, your, the picture of you, a little bit about you and you sign off the newsletter with a personal message and you target only a section of the houses and you send them that newsletter, you, you drop it off maybe every Sunday for three or four weeks. And with that newsletter, you're positioning yourself as a community finished trainer. And to support that, besides talking to the people that you bump into, I know you will, it'll be nerve wracking. You're going to also offer a boot camp class in the area, which should help funnel you personal training clients, whether from the boot camp clients or their friends. I hope that was helpful. Enjoy the show. Today on the show is Danny Singer. He's the president and founder of Fit2Go, a top Baltimore, Maryland in-home training company that trains about 100 clients every week. His business is impressive after starting out in his college apartment at the age of 21. In just a few years, it is now one of the top in-home training companies in his area and with a team of full-time trainers. He even has relationships with national property management companies to train for free at these apartment complexes in his area. In addition, he has been featured regularly on his local news channel through his regular health segment. There's so much to learn from what he's made work for his in-home training business. It's great to have you today, Danny. I know we have a lot to talk about with what's been happening. So I'm really curious first to start off, how did you get into in-home personal training? What's your story that to get started in, and kind of really grow it to being one of the top PT companies there? Sure. So it's like entrepreneurially, I've always been very entrepreneurial by nature. Like I was a kid that when I was like five, I was buying packs of Hershey kisses. And then I would take like three of them, put them in a little paper bag and I would sell them like 50 for 50 cents a piece to my friends and family. And my little business was called Happy Chocolate Place. And then when I grew out of that, <laughs> eventually knew I was going to start some other business. And so with personal training, basically my, my plan in college was to go into computer science and that was my major. And then I was going to be a personal trainer through college just because I liked it. It would be good. I could have my own hours. It ended up being that the first client I trained was an amazing success story. He lost over 70 pounds. He got over his high blood pressure, his cholesterol, his sleep apnea, like every aspect of his life, like radically improved to the point that like he was just doing it because he had to do it for uh, a job. And he ended up like he still to this day, he maintains that he's running six days a week, he's cooking all his own food. And uh, like that high of helping somebody make such a drastic change. I knew I was gonna get that in computer science. So I basically I was like, all right, I gotta figure out a way to make this a real lucrative career. And so that's when I decided to start fit to go. And then that's like that origin story is a big part of what fit to go is about because we really have two main missions of fit to go. The first is with the clients fit to go. The whole point is that like I always wanted a trainer who would take responsibility for my results. So important for them to get me in shape versus you, most trainers where they just give a workout session. And then it doesn't really, and that's what I was seeing in the gym was I was giving workouts, giving great workouts and clients weren't seeing results. So that's the first part of fit to go is to actually take responsibility for clients results and mm. the nutrition coaching, the daily accountability and everything actually makes change. But the second part is that for personal trainers, that's one of my long-term missions is to really raise the standard of personal training for what it means to be a personal trainer 
for what a quality personal training service is and then the education level of a personal trainer. And then by doing all that, the public perception of personal training and the amount of money that personal trainer can really earn. Like it, I want it to be the case that personal training is just like physical therapy. No physical therapist is getting to their job and their employer tells them, cool, now go spend all day on the floor trying to sign up patients and you'll get a small percentage of that, which is the percent setup for most personal trainers. So those two things are really what we're all about. Hmm. Nice. So that's a really inspiring origin story. I think a lot of trainers can, that sounds familiar to them. Now, the next big question is, how did you make that jump? How did you get so much traction? I don't know what year this was and how much staff you have now. So I started Fit Together in the summer of 2013. I was 21 at the time, and I'd only been a, I got certified in 2012, so I've been a trainer for a year. But I basically started it, I think that my ignorance, my lack of knowledge about business and my lack of knowledge about like any formal business training ended up being a huge benefit for me because I didn't overthink things. In that moment, okay, well, what matters for the specific result I'm trying to get? It doesn't matter about the right way. It matters what will work in this specific situation. And so that was my approach to all of it. And I just figured everything as I went. The biggest case of that is with WordPress. Like I had a very specific idea what I wanted for the website. So everybody thought it was crazy and it was, it was a stupid business move to waste all my time learning WordPress, but I did for like three months. And it was like my main thing I was doing all day because now I own my site and I can change it as much as I want. Any quick update I want to make, I can do. And it's been so, it's a huge asset. But the question was about how I made that jump. I, the way I modeled it was that I couldn't really get hurt because it was set up on just like most gyms it was set up on a commission basis originally. So it was basically like when clients came in, I would pass them off to trainers. The whole idea really for trainers, I didn't want trainers to have to be salesmen. So like, it was like, I signed the clients and then I pass them off to the trainers going to be a good fit for them. And so the trainers just get clients that haven't do any sales and I was paying them better than gyms, higher commission, but it was no risk to me because if no clients came in, well, we're in-home personal training business. I have almost no overhead. And when I started, I couldn't afford, like I didn't have a phone. I had my cell phone. I didn't have like a company phone. I didn't have a website. After the first two clients and I could afford the website and then get the phone and then stuff like that and kind of just gradually built up from there. Hmm. Nice. So you started in 2013. It sounds like you were signing people up. Whenever you had a new prospect, you'd go out, you'd do the sign up and then you'd kind of repeat the process. At what point did it feel like it was starting to really pick up or running truly being a business? It's funny because I've had that moment so many times. I think probably every year I say to somebody, okay, now it's like a real business. You know? <laughs> because it always felt like it, especially because I was, I dropped out of college, but I was still living like in a college apartment. My friends were still in frat. And it was like, I felt like I was playing dress up every day going. And that's what a lot of it did. I was honestly too scared to, I, I hid my age like I wasn't the face of the company for the first couple of years and so I didn't even like meet the trainers I was hiring specifically because I was nervous about like going to that interview oh, wow. and then them being like oh this kid is the person that's hiring so I would talk to them over the phone just out of fear and then eventually as I went I just started getting my feet wet with a little bit more I got more comfortable with more and more things and yeah it's crazy like looking at that I was scared to talk to the trainers I was interviewing like transitioning to now where I'm regularly doing tv but it's the same thing there like tv I was very scared to do it the first time. I just got my feet wet and you just, you get acclimated to whatever you force yourself to do. Mm -hmm. For that first year, it sounds like you were self-conscious that you looked really young and you know, it didn't feel like there was real business yet. How many interested leads were you getting every week? Okay. So this is a funny story. So at first, again, I didn't even have a website at first. What I was doing, this was 2013. This was already when Craigslist was getting pretty shady, but not, not like it is now, but it was already like less and less people were using it. 
I was posting to Craigslist every single day. I had a set ad and I just looked at that and I went all in on that. So like with Craigslist, the way it worked is like, you can't, if you post your ad, then there'll be 20 other people that post that day. And then in like a couple hours or the rest of the day, people won't see your ad. But you can post as many ads as you want. So I just kept posting the same ad every single day. So it'd always be the top. And then I was shocked. And it still doesn't make sense to this day. Like for the first year, at least of fit to go, so 2013, 2014, the vast majority of our clients, like the one steady lead source we had was Craigslist. And, and we specifically, we got a brain surgeon from Craigslist. So they weren't like shady people. Like I don't know still why these people were looking for personal trainers on Craigslist. But what I understand from them is just that of those people that were looking for them, out of all those ads on there, most of them are like random shirtless people taking selfies, really look like a professional company. So for whatever reason, the people that were looking on Craigslist, I think they would be most likely to go to us. I think that's why that worked. Hmm. Wow. Nice. All right. So Craigslist, I love it. I love that it was free. How many leads were you getting a week? I don't remember exactly, but it was... It, it, it's been gradually picking up ever since mm-hmm. then. So I remember like the first three leads you got was so clear in my mind. I don't remember the exact progression after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can relate a lot. When I first moved to New York City, I started a tennis school and I had to get a lot of remote locations. And so in essence, I relate because I had a lot of teachers who went to remote locations and I would just would post on Craigslist for, do you need a tennis coach? And I like wait for people like, oh my God, no one called today. And just, so I relate. What was that? What year was that? Yeah, that was, uh, I had just moved to New York. I just graduated college, so I was pretty young. I was like 23. I think it was like 2007. Oh, Craigslist was popular back then. It wasn't sketchy. <laughs> yeah, it was still kind of going in different directions. So when did you hire your first trainer and when did you get them to actually have a real income? Right away. Right away, I started hiring trainers. Like the day after I founded the business, I started advertising and started interviewing trainers. I hired them within that month. And again, like it worked because I wasn't, I didn't owe them anything. It was when clients mm-hmm. came in, I was giving them a much better percentage, like double like what most trainers were getting at gyms and they didn't have to do any sales. That was the biggest thing for them. Mm-hmm. So the original setup was not to be, I mean, in theory, it could be if you had a full-time schedule, you could make a good amount of money. But as a personal trainer will know, it's, it doesn't work that way, right? Like you have random sporadic clients here and there. They go out of town, they cancel, they don't show up, they flake. You have to, you don't have sessions back to back. So they were all back then part-time. And it was in 2016, I think, when I realized, oh, I don't want part-time trainers. I want people that this is their main, not, this, this is their only thing. Like mm-hmm. this is like the main thing they're putting focus on every single day and really giving everything to the clients because that's the kind of service I want to create. And that was actually in the beginning, my, I didn't know what my plan was to go. I thought I was going to like do what everybody, there's a million of these out there. We just create a website, get leads and then have trainers sign up and then pass to the trainers and take a small commission. But I realized very, very soon after that, that's not what I wanted. Even if it would be lucrative, what I wanted was to build a real like elite personal training service that I was proud of. And so then that's what I started doing from there. And there's been a lot of iterations in the type of trainer we hire, the way that we structure things hmm. since then, but it's just been figuring it out. Yeah. That actually is, was a question that kind of was on my mind for when we, when Bumblebee tennis, uh, which is what I ran in on um, New York city and it was, it was a ball with a little bumblebee on it. I mean, the ball was the bumblebee and there was a head. It was great. But what was hard about it for me was like, I literally was so stressed every day because it was a 24 seven right. business. I was stressed because my trainers were mostly college kids who just got a college 
who uh, were looking for real jobs. That's why they would work for me because everyone comes to New York City for their dream, whether they're going to become on Broadway or something. So they weren't super dedicated. So that was a challenge. And even if they were kind of dedicated, they they still weren't really super dedicated because for me, we had load times. So even if I wanted to give them full-time hours, it was hard because everyone needed, all the classes were maybe in the afternoon for the kids and then in the evening for the adults. And it was just, I just found it really hard. So my big question, and it sounds like you really started to think about how to solve some of this is how did you do staffing? What was your commission structure? Uh, How did you filter them and how did you attract them to, to work for you? so that you could offer the level of service you wanted? So the biggest thing was just the fact that the first sentence of any of the ads we put on, on Indeed or anywhere would say, personal trainers should be trainers, not salesmen. And just being very clear, like, cause that's the biggest thing for most personal trainers. They go through, mm-hmm. they get their exercise science or kinesiology, they'll get their nationally recognized certification, they get everything. And they don't find out until after they finally land their job at the gym that, oh, my job is not to be a trainer whatsoever. Nobody cares about that. My job is to sell people on personal training. And it's a very, very different job. And most trainers are naturally not good at it. And it's so most fitness business advisors will tell you to get good at sales and push for that. What I want to push for is that personal trainers don't need to be salesmen. And if a trainer wants to become a salesman, that's great, but it should not be, they should not be intertwined. It should not be that in order to be a trainer, you have to be able to, to sell people. Hmm. Okay. So you attracted them because you, you let them know they don't have to be salespeople. You mentioned that you gave them almost double. So is that like, instead of 25, 50%, what was the percentage that worked for your business? I don't remember the exact ones that were back then, but it was whatever the uh, normal starting rate was around gyms. It was double that. Okay. All right. So you, you offered more in 2016, you mentioned you really started to think about, you wanted this full-time trainer. I'm assuming you, you kind of had a steady stream of clients now, so you could kind of mold the schedule more still, this was three years after. So you've been going at it what was the main five things or if there's more or less that you started to hone it to, to, to adjust to keep this trainer that you wanted to keep the trainer or to keep enough clients coming in more on the trainer side, the staffing side, maybe not to keep, but how did you design your staffing and HR so that you would attract the top trainers who were dedicated full-time to you? How did you design the schedule? How did you do design was it ever hard to attract good talent to your company? Yeah. So what I did for clients is that what I, I just got us on Google and then we got a lot of Google reviews. So okay. when you Google personal trainer, Baltimore will usually come up at was one of the top because you have the most reviews of any personal training service in Baltimore. And then I also, because of a lot of the media I've done, our site ranks highly. So most of our clients would come from Google. They look for personal trainer, they see us, they like what they see and then they apply. And so that was steady. And then in terms of the structuring it for the trainers, it's been a big learning process. One of the biggest things I had to learn is how to manage people, what is realistic, what works. And uh, the biggest thing is like, the way I try to structure it now is that there's an idea and a cultural jig where the idea is that rather than setting up a system that you need a really good person that needs to be super self-motivated and dedicated, whatever, to be able to do it, you want to create a system that it could be the dumbest person possible could do it so that it doesn't require any extra effort and have the person put their focus on other things that matter. So for example, don't have a complicated system for like tracking notes, make that as simple as possible so they can do a good job and focus their attention on their clients, things like that. So that's been one of the biggest things we optimized over the years. But most recently, last year in 2019, we officially started paying trainers who basically created a full-time position where we pay 
salary of 40k a year and that's guaranteed for the client so we have enough clients coming in that we tell the trainers like the risk is on us now so even before mm-hmm. it was like yeah we'll give you clients to get a good commission whatever and now it's like you don't even you don't have to worry about that, that doesn't make a difference like you're just gonna have a full-time schedule we're missing a couple of clients you'll do something else so do complimentary sessions whatever but you're gonna have a set schedule set amount of money every semi-monthly so it's on these dates every month and that was huge because that doesn't exist yeah Wow. All right. So when were you able to jump to full-time salary trainers? Last year, 2019. Okay. How many clients do they see uh, a week of someone who makes a full-time person? I don't know the number of clients because it depends. The answer okay. is 30 sessions. So that's the, that's the max. And then we factor in the amount of time. So our main thing is not sessions. Our main thing is program design and holding them accountable every single day, coaching our clients, teaching them. We do a lot of that remotely, like through our app. So 10 office hours, 30 training sessions. Oh, I see. So the office hours is them messaging their clients, checking in with them? Overseeing their programs, designing them, tweaking them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do they do the office hours literally in an office near you or at their own at home? They did until March. Yeah. Okay. So 30 sessions. What about travel time? How did you figure that to make sure they have enough time between clients? That's one of the trickiest things. I think that's probably why there's been no real in-home personal training company that's really, really scaled nationally. There's a couple trying to right now, but I think that that piece is what nobody's quite figured out. So one of the things I learned early on is because I kept having people like, oh, well, this area is great. Go here. This area is great. Go here. And especially again, like I had no business experience and no business knowledge or anything. So when you're getting so much advice from so many people who generally know a lot more than you, it's hard to choose what to go with. But one of the things I was very confident about is that I needed to choose one area and get as dense as possible in that area mm-hmm. for that exact reason, right? Like if I have a client in one city and I find another city that's a half hour away, yeah. that's going to be a chaos and then rush hour and then unexpected traffic and things like that. So the system that we've set up and it's still not perfect, but as we grow and as we kind of fine tune our systems more, it's set up to be, it's 45 minute sessions, 15 minute drive time. So it's a session, it's still a client every hour like you would at a gym. It's just structured very well like that. And now as we're growing, we're able to kind of pinpoint clients to more uh, trainers to more specific areas. And now we have uh, a lot of relationships with property management companies. So like in uh, apartment complexes or office buildings that have gyms there, we can just station a uh, trainer there like all day. And that's beautiful. Yeah. When did you start doing uh, apartment complexes? So we always had clients from a complexes from the beginning. But we started really setting up these partnerships with apartment complexes 2018, 2019, last year. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because they can just kind of station there and then you still don't really have to pay rent. If someone, if a trainer was interested in doing that in their area, how would they uh, set up that relationship? It's going to be tougher for sure. If you're just an independent trainer, Uh, mine was more through, I set it up with high up with corporate so my, my biggest partnership was with Bizzuto, who's like a very big property management company all up and down the East Coast. So then through there, I learned a lot. And then I took that model and then I didn't technically do it. So I sent our director to go to another apartment complex and basically explain to them what we'd offer. So for the apartment complex, and this is the biggest piece for personal trainers to understand how it's pitched, is that the apartment complex, they want to have trainers because they constantly get asked that by the residents. Oh, do you guys have trainers? And they have to say no. And the reason they say no is because 
they don't want to, even if they are told or they have great recommendations for some personal trainer, once they say, yeah, here, I recommend this person, then whatever happens with that person is going to be come back and they're going to be liable for it. Mm-hmm. So that's what they want to avoid. So just policy amongst most apartment complexes is we don't have personal trainers. We don't recommend them. You can bring in your own, but that's it. And so what we solve for them is that a, we provide personal training services so they can say we have yeah onsite nationally certified personal trainers. We have our own liability insurance. We sign waivers and set it up so that they have no liability. So it's perfect for them. And so mm-hmm. they now have this awesome amenity. And then what we do is we give a free uh, week to every single resident that wants to sign up. And a lot of those client, residents start becoming clients, but a lot of those residents just want to take advantage of the free week. And what that, and then we can do that because we have full-time trainers, right? So we're paying them either way so we can fill up those sessions. And then for the apartment complexes, that's just amazing. Like you're going to give every single one of my residents and, and, and they'll often ask us, okay, well, like, what's the cost? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, this is for us. We can grow our business this way. But for you, it's just, it's a free amenity. It's just win all around. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a really big win. And you've mentioned numerous times about how it's really, it doesn't feel like a cost in a sense because maybe you're already paying them trainer anyways. Overall, specifically on that question is since it's a recent change, has your per session price in a sense gone down and has your overall payroll gone down or is it really has gone up or has it stayed the same with full-time salaries? Well, let's just start off with overall payroll. Has it gone down or has it gone up? When we switched from part-time to full-time? Yeah we're paying them more for sure because even if basically we're paying the same amount every single week. So like most trainers will know this if you run your own business or even if you don't, if you're in a gym, you only get paid per session. So you know, like your pay is so sporadic and you know, like, yeah, in theory, if all these sessions scheduled, if they all happened, I would make X amount of money, but I'm really going to make half of that because they cancel the show up. Their payment doesn't go through and all this stuff happens. So it's really doesn't even matter what the technical setup was before. The difference is just that now we are paying them no matter what, good amount of money every two or every, twice a month. So it ends up being a good amount more. Mm-hmm. So I'm imagining payroll is the highest. Um, so you're always in a way trying to manage that for your, your net profit. It sounds like you're saying your payroll essentially went up like that number. And as a percentage of revenue went up, is that, is, is that what's happened? I'm assuming you, you've, you've justified that in a way, whether it's going to become a return in the future and that you plan on your revenue going up because now you can do more comps or you retain customers better. I'm just curious how you mentally process, like I'm okay with additional payroll costs. It was not really like that for me because this is like I told you in the beginning, this is my mission. From the beginning, I wanted to create real careers for personal trainers, not random part-time, be a salesman and make some money here and there on the side, like while you're also a lifeguard and a DJ. I wanted to make real careers. I don't have a lot of expenses too. I don't spend too much on myself personally because I'm always working. So any expenses will have some correlation to the business. And um, this is like the overhead was, it's gone up now as we've grown, but the beginning was so low. What do I need? I need a phone. I need a website. That was pretty much it in the beginning. Right, right. Okay. So for the 30 sessions, you mentioned that a full-time person trainer does a week, do they always do 30? Do they pretty much always meet that? And if so, what percentage of the 30 sessions is paid sessions? Most weeks, trainers not have exactly 30. The most likely to be around like 25 to 30. Mm. Um, and then some weeks it will be like, oh, they rescheduled something. So then they have like 31 some week, but usually be 30 is the maximum. So our goal is to keep them at 30, but it's constantly changing, right? Clients are always, programs are ending, programs are starting, people are moving. And so it's, it's constantly moving around, but we aim to shoot for them at 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah. St- sticking on staffing, because that's the, the trick. Your staff is your biggest asset. What do you do to maintain 
like a team feeling, even though well, we won't assume it's during quarantine times, but usual times, what did you do to help people feel the fit to go culture and the brand and they felt like a team? So it's a good question. And this is something that I had to learn a lot over the years. Like the best way to put it is that I like started off like trying to be a boss. And then as years went on, I started to understand what it, more of what it means to be a leader and like basically to be able to get people to do something in a way that they want to do it versus in a way that they're doing it resentfully. And so I did for a year last year, 2019, we were doing these monthly like team events where I'd pay, like we would all go out to dinner, we would go bowling, we would do whatever just for the team building there. We've stopped those since, but our team is much closer than it was then because A, it just comes down to hiring the right people, right? And every time we hire, we get a little bit better and we learn a little bit. But then B, it comes down to how you manage slash lead them. And that's the biggest thing. Like doing those team building events, it's a nice thing on paper. But if you're doing that in the context of bad management, it's just not, nobody cares. So it's more in the relationship and the way we approach managing the trainers where I don't want to be your boss. Like I want as much as possible for this to be a partnership where like we're both treating this as mature adults. It's very clear what our, what our responsibilities are. We come to our meetings ready to roll and we both have this joint common goal of helping Sally lose 50 pounds or whoever it is. And then we're just working on that common goal together. And so I think that approach makes the biggest difference is like treating them as a mature adult and expecting that they can hit it. Mm-hmm. Okay. It sounds like it created a foundation for at least a a cohesion. I guess my next question is, since a lot of the sessions are happening not under your supervision at other places, and maybe the trainer shows up in time and communicates with you well, what do you do to make sure that they're staying on top of their game at the client's home? So what we do is every single week, the director, who was me until last year, now I have another director, Every Monday, all day is blocked off for weekly check-ins with every trainer. And so we'll go for an hour and a half with each trainer, go through, usually sitting down in the office now, it's over Zoom, every single client's program, exactly what our goal was with them this past week, how it played out. So like, for example, John was supposed to do a pull workout on Monday. I had a session on Wednesday and he was supposed to log his nutrition over the weekend. Cool. That was his plan. Did he do it? And what we're looking at mostly is fine-tuning the how do we help them adhere? Because that's the entire game. It's not hard to develop a plan for somebody. It's hard to be a coach and to get them to actually want to and follow through. And in many ways, there's a lot of correlations between coaching a client and managing a trainer. It's the same thing. You're just trying to get somebody to do what they already want themselves to do, but need, need help. They need leadership. So we go through all those, every single client, every single trainer, and we go through that. And so there's a lot of accountability there. And what we're starting to do more now is to standardize the check-ins with the client. Standardize like surveys being sent out, standardized check-ins. But for the most part, yeah, it's just the trainer there on their own with the client for the actual Mm. sessions. Yeah, I love that. I think that speaks words. So you're saying weekly, your director meets with every trainer and talks to them about every client and goes over their notes and their progress and the trainer is able to kind of process if they're doing well or what they need to change. Right. And so that's the difference. It's like when I worked at a gym, the only meetings we ever had were about sales. It was about how many sales right. you make to make that better. Nobody ever asked me or cared once what I was doing with any client, what, who the clients were, what uh, results we were getting. It didn't yeah. matter. And so the difference is that like we're focused on results and the trainers are not involved in sales. So all we're doing with them is we're very detailed with the exact plan for every single client every single week and we track everything. We have an assessment and say, okay, this is our goal for the month. Here's our plan to hit it. These weekly habits we're doing. And then, and we're constantly getting better every single week because every week we're getting more data of, okay, that worked for this person. That might apply in this situation over this other person. 
And so that's, see that getting better each week. Yeah. I like that. And I think that's really brilliant and it shows a lot of love because I think any type of coaching company, there's business coaching companies and stuff, and they can all fall into the same trap of just focusing on sales, but is the client really improving? And I think that there's a lot of not just personal training coaching, but general coaching companies that don't even don't necessarily even do that. So I like that a lot. For retaining your trainers, it sounds like that was a big change to move over to full-time. How many trainers do you currently have full-time and how long have they been with you or on average? So right now we have, we have five full-time trainers. We're in the process of hiring several more before COVID, but then COVID messed with that. And then the average, I'd say is about a year for most of them around that. That's when we started making the change to full-time trainers. Mm-hmm. When you made the move to full-time trainers, how many trainers did you have then? I guess some of them were part-time or a bunch of them were part-time. We had the same amount, but some of them were more full-time schedules. Some of them were part-time. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a set. It was a completely different system. So the way we operate is completely different now. And so it's different people. People came in that were coming into a full-time job and giving it their everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said you, on average, the trainers stick around one year and I get that you just started full-time. So it's kind of hard to gauge, but let's just say not thinking about full-time or part-time, do your top trainers generally stay with you for about a year or longer? My top, my top trainers will stay longer. It's, and it's very hard to find top trainers. So that's been like, for most of Fit2Go's existence, we didn't have an issue getting clients because we had a good reputation. We had an issue finding good trainers to uphold that reputation. And so that's what a lot of, I started doing, started doing like guest lectures at local universities just to get the word out there more. I wrote an article, which was originally called Five Ways Gym Screw Over Personal Trainers. Mm. And I, for whatever reason, I just checked it and it was actually, I changed it to Five Ways Gyms Take Advantage of Personal Trainers. Hmm. And that's the number one article on my site right now. Like if you Google take advantage of personal trainers, that will come up and that's the most hits again. So it just shows how big the problem is in the personal training industry. Yeah. That's interesting. Going into this, I I thought that we might talk about a number of different things, but really you've done well here uh, and your business has really transitioned is how you treat and manage your on-site personal trainers. So that's really cool. About how many clients do you have? Uh, Assuming that most of them come in once or twice a week. We have about a hundred. Okay. And then if you mind asking about how often do they usually uh, come in? Three times per week. I know that there's a range of goals. Some want to lose weight for their wedding and some are maintenance. Would you say more of your clients are maintenance or they're done with their program or do most of them kind of just stay with you? So we do 12 month programs usually. um, Oh, I see. The idea is that over the next year, most of our clients will come to us after having seen all the BS out there. They've already done Metafast. They've already done uh, Nutrisystem, they've done the juice cleanse and fast and all the boot camps or whatever, the challenges. And they realized, cool, even if I can do something insane and lose 30 pounds in a month, I'm just going to gain 50 pounds back next month. And so they usually come to us like ready and they've like read our site, they bought it for a while, they know and they've applied and they're ready to go. The idea is it's really an investment. Like nobody can do the work for them. That's also really important. Like we explain, the point is to not only hit your goals, but to develop the knowledge, experience and habits to make sure that this is not a one-time thing, that this is not something you're going to do again next year. You're going to do it. And for the next decade, that should stick until there's a radical, radical change in your life. And even then, ideally it should stick, but you should develop the habits and skills necessary to cope with the different things that come your way after working through with a coach for a year. You should be set for like whatever comes your way, you know how to handle it to make, to keep fitness. It's all about adapting your approach to keep fitness a part of your lifestyle. So you're still going out with friends, you're going to a wedding or whatever, and still making it work. Yeah. 
I love that you did 12 month program. I think that I imagine people doing maybe like three three month minimum, six months, but 12 months, that's solid. So about how much do they pay for a session? So we don't sell per session because we don't do per session, but the biggest part of our programs is what's happening outside of the sessions. Mm-hmm. So again, like we're doing the daily coaching, we're, we're coaching their habits, we're setting their exact workouts they're going to do on their own. And we teach them in the session how to work out so that they can then repeat that on their own. That's why we have clients that even if they're doing one session a week, so they're only paying for that lower rate, but they're still getting coached every single day of the week. And so they're not working out once per week. They just have it with their trainer once per week. And then they have their set plan for Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever. And they're mm-hmm. doing nutrition. So the rates range from 79 to 195 a week. Okay. My next question is, you mentioned that that's why there's no nationwide in-home personal training company, or there's some trying to go, you're doing well. And it sounds like you're also saying that it's really important to get dense in a certain area because of this travel thing. So being in the fitness, this specific business, honing in on management, it's been about seven years when you first started. What do you see in your current position as how you want to grow? Are you going to grow more densely, go more after apartment buildings? What's your opportunity in general? So if you would ask me this three months ago, it would have been the property management companies because we've developed, we've, we're continually every month developing new relationships with not individual properties, but the property management. So that's huge. Once we get one relationship there, then they might have 10 buildings in Baltimore that we're then going into. And it's not just Baltimore. Most of these companies are in like 30 states. Whenever we're ready to expand here, we can go there also. So that will still be a push for sure. Actually, I just got back right before this podcast. We just stopped off at one of our apartment partnerships and we were filming. They have a nice courtyard. So we're filming like workout sessions out there. Let them know, hey, even if your gym's closed, you can work out with the trainer right now. I don't know about online yet. I've played with it a couple of times. I've played with it again now. I know that it can be done. I know that we could do it. I don't know how effective it will be for our clientele because for our clientele they're usually very highly educated they're very very driven disciplined but they have so much else that is driving them the family and the careers a lot of them are entrepreneurs lawyers doctors a lot of medical professionals a lot of doctors and for them for a lot of them they know what to do they need a person it's not about like a plan or whatever they need a person virtual has worked well surprisingly well like with all of our clients they've done really really well so I, that's changed my mind a little bit. My answer to that is I'm kind of thinking it through as I'm answering you. Yeah. I'm more open to the idea with virtual, but I don't think our move is going to be the other kind of online training where you're really just sending people a program. Mm-hmm. I see. That's really interesting since you have so much experience in this. Hey, thanks for listening. Oh, I have three freebies. Number one, Get your full edited transcription with bullet points of the key lessons from today's show on our website, fitnesssecrets.co. That's fitnesssecrets with an S at the end.co. While you're there, subscribe to our newsletter, which gets you access to our monthly freebie marketing and operations content that you can use for your own fitness business. Freebie number two. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe to the show in your podcast player by hitting the subscribe button. Since the show happens because of listeners like you, could you also leave a review? If you email us your review at support at fitnesssecrets.co, you'll receive a complimentary one-hour coaching call with me and a $150 credit towards the first challenge that we will be releasing soon. Finally, freebie number three. We started the Fitness Secrets Facebook group. 
I know thinking and designing of new marketing campaigns, planning out your operations each month for your fitness clients is exhausting. Our goal is for the group to help you plan out your marketing, plan out your operations so you can get more clients efficiently. To join, go to facebook.com and search Fitness Business Secrets. Thanks so much for listening. I can't wait to talk to you in the next episode.